Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. in Nashville, he kept relapsing. One of these real goody-goody guys and only shared vaguely, and we do relapse workshops in Nashville where we do crosstalk. It's a separate kind of meeting, and we announce this is a workshop, there'll be crosstalk. And we just pull and pull. This guy was relapsing, relapsing. Finally, it came out. He was freezing his feces and having sex with his feces. Defrosting. It took him years to say it. It was too late. He eventually hung himself. You cannot live with shame year after year after year without expecting it to kill. Shame is the enemy of this program. Shame means I don't believe in the first step. When you're in shame, it means I do not believe I have an addiction, I have a disease. I am bad, I am evil, I'm the worst. God himself couldn't love me. I am so bad. I am shit. Not that I do shitty things. I am shit. <coughs> Is this being tape recorded? Oh my God. <laughs> God, don't get me for using the word shit, please. Please. <laughs> I keep, I'm powerless. I am powerless. I keep trying to use proper vocabulary. It doesn't get the message. I'm sorry, it doesn't. For me, maybe for others they could handle other words. But sometimes a word has this, this smell. That's what shame is. It smells. 
you know how you'll see in Nashville meetings during a meeting, you'll see people going like this. During the meeting, you know automatically they're my sponsees. <laughs> this, that's how we deal with shame. It's just nasty, ugly energy. It's just energy. And you go like this when you feel like someone will say something in a meeting and it brings back a memory that I had forgotten or never knew I had. And I said, oh my God, did I do that? And I get this awful feeling in here. Brush it up. Brush it up. Where did I learn it from? You can learn things from everywhere. From a therapeutic massage. <laughs> Real massage therapists who are dealing with other people's pains pick up some of the disease energy, bad energy, and that's how they do it. They brush it off. Now, I know energy stuff is real new age and be careful. It might be against your religion. might be against my religion. The hell with all this stuff. It works. might not be true. It works. God might not be true, but it works. <laughs> it works. <laughs> this whole thing might be a myth, but it works. <laughs> I, I, on the plane, I discovered a one wonderful way of traveling to Europe. I just didn't go to sleep. I watched movies on the plane for the whole trip. It was wonderful. I didn't get that hangover and that grogginess from waking up. And um, uh, poor Christoph had to deal with me without a day and a half sleep or something. But um, he was a trooper, good man. And... Um, by the way, in that blizzard, at 6.30 in the morning, and the snow is packed up, and the roads were non-drivable, Christoph picked us up at the Brussels airport. This is what 12-step program does for me to get people who can love me, knowing who I am. And who I could love knowing that they probably have some similar things I have. And so we, we get all this secrecy, this secrecy. And so we have these workshops and we do this and we, we just pull it. And then I'll do it once or twice with a person. And then I'll say, this is it. I'm not going to pull teeth from you anymore. It's too uncomfortable for me. I don't know if I'm being a voyeur or if I'm doing this with good motive. I don't want to do this anymore. Either share explicitly or don't call me. I'm not going to pull teeth from you. I think I have this quote here. Uh, for all you essay thumpers who say you're not supposed to be 
explicit. Guess who wrote this? Essay book, page 160. Lust hates the light and flees from it. It loves the dark recesses of my being. And once I let it lodge there, it's like a fungus and starts flourishing. The athlete's foot of the soul. But as soon as I bring it to the light, exposing it to another recovering sexaholic, the power it has over me is broken. Light kills lust. I did it with specific experiences, not generalities. Roy wrote that in the essay book to all you who won't permit your sponsees to tell, talk to you explicitly. Examine your own program. How do I do that? What are my basics? We say to each other in Nashville, I am going to be explicit now. We preface it. Which means, and we have this expression, Katie, hold the door. <laughs> means anything now is going to come out and everything. <coughs> and the moment I hear that, I say, God, let me hear this with your ears. Let me hear this with your hearing. <coughs> Ninety-nine percent of the time, I handle it well. There are some exceptions. I don't do well with teenage to teenage stuff for my own stuff. And I don't do well about pedophilia. And so I move the phone away. But I've sponsored a pedophilist for decades. And there are some things I move the phone away. And they move the phone away. I, uh, and by the way, my, uh, I don't differentiate who I tell things to. So if something just happens, I do my tenth step. I promptly admit it to someone. So the next person I'm talking to or I've called, I say it to. So a lot of times my sponsees, I'm getting calls all day, will call me. And I'll say, I'm going to be explicit now. I just had this thought. And I share it. And I said something about it. He said, oh, Harvey, I wasn't listening. I moved the phone away. <laughs> but I got rid of it. A burden shared is half as heavy. Over and over again. <laughs> How much time do we have? Eleven. Normally, normally it was from nine to ten, speaking about uh, sick getting well, and yeah. then from ten to eleven it was a workshop on step one. Okay. Well, no, 
We're not doing breaks. Go to the bathroom on your own. We are impossible getting people back in. Then we have to play villain and bad guys and yell, and I have to act like a, a New Yorker and get loud and scream. Um, and so go to the bathroom, get what you need. Uh, at an AA meeting, nobody sits in one place for more than five minutes. You come to the crowd, and you're getting coffee, and you're getting this, and you're doing that. So just go for it. Um, let's use this for a little question time. Yes. to me, because you're not being explicit. 
I immediately picture sex with a woman. But I picture what my addiction thinks is sex with a woman. That's not good for me. So I need to have the person say what they mean. Oral sex, anal sex, vaginal sex, masturbatory sex. What are you saying? Because I cannot have my mind having to, to, to automatically say what he's thinking. That's, that's what our brain does. All this stuff about explicitness and being careful you don't even realize how dangerous it is for the addict. So me? For the others. For the, okay, for the yeah. person listening. By being vague. Because you, they are not vague when you, they hear a word. So when you say, I have a shoe fetish, I will picture something which might not be anything you're talking about. It's a reflection of my sexual addiction. Meaning, it's fantasy. I'm not dealing with the reality of what you're saying to me. And therefore, I can't deal with it with my tools as well. This is some shocking stuff, man. This is, this is tough stuff. Because I've watched it. I've watched area of the countries over and over again that are so stymied. So stymied means stagnant. And I, I get to see what group does this and what group does that. It's very interesting in looking back at it. Sometimes my heart cries for Roy, what he had to watch. And he saw all this, but I'm not sure he exactly knew what was happening. He just thought it wasn't working. And he started every four, five, seven, eight years he'd have a new type of essay to do. Where uh, finally, towards the end of his life, it became the accountability groups. Remember that? The accountability groups. And he'd go all over talking about it, and he'd be in these accountability groups. And I'd read about it and see it and say, but we do this at our meetings already. Everything he's writing about. We're already doing most of this stuff. I couldn't even fathom what an accountability group was. This we were doing it automatically. You need a separate group to be honest? <laughs> hey, what the hell's going on here? You need a special group for two guys to bring someone over the side after a meeting and say, hey, cut this shit out. What's going on here? 
We had this man with the years of sobriety. And he lost his sobriety. And um, he had been a minister and all this stuff. And he lost that. And he and his wife divorced him from the relapse. And he probably was sober seven, eight years. I don't know. And he relapsed. She divorced him. They went bankruptcy. And she, he ended up moving back with her. And he was saying he was sober. With significant sobriety time. I mean, he kept using his, you know, and one day he and I, he, I and another man went up to him and we were good friends. <laughs> you know, he's like part of my home group. And we went up to him and we said, you know, you're sponsoring a lot of people. You're saying you're sober, but you're not sober, according to S.A. He said, but I am. She's my wife. I said, no, you're not married to her. But Harvey, we can't. We can't do that because then she'll be involved with the bankruptcy. We can't get married. I said, if you're having sex with this woman and you're not married to her, you're not sober according to essay definition. He started yelling at me, called me an SS trooper, a real Nazi. I said, you got the wrong guy, let me tell you. <laughs> and man, he was at it. And I said, I love you, but if you don't stop doing this, Single-handedly, you are changing S.A. to S.A.A. without any group conscience, without anything. And if you keep doing this, since I cannot stop you from doing this, every meeting I'm at with you, I will get up and announce we are having an S.A. meeting in the next room. He stopped giving his sobriety date. He he said, I'm sober today. You know, there's just so much you could do. But he wasn't saying, I'm sober for four or five years, and then guys are coming to him to be their sponsor when he's not sober. Eventually, he remarried. And he actually talks to me now. Yeah. <clears throat> What happens? You, accountability needs to be there. I can't do it alone. And I need someone else with me. But also it's based on transparency. My not being codependent on this guy. That's my disease. Yes. Yeah. Did he remarry his original wife or did he remarry? No, his original wife. He was sleeping with his original wife. Now, by the way, this might shake up some people with European styles who live with, with their wives and women and call them their wives. And then they say, but I've been married to her for years. No, we haven't had a ceremony. But, you know, 
every fellowship has its warts or its blemishes or its other things or its legalities. This is one of ours. What you see is what you got. There are wonderful other fellowships. If you want them, go for it. But don't try to change S.A. That's what happened so much in the fellowship about the gay issue. If gays would come in and do their thing and get sober, etc., that's one thing. But that's not what usually happens. They tend to, I don't want to talk to them like they, but the, a lot of gay people who come in want to change the fellowship so it will agree with what they're doing. And you see this with heterosexual people who are in, in marriages that aren't marriages. They want to change their environment to fit them when there are other fellowships. I go up to gay people who are in gay relationships, and I go up to them after a meeting with someone else usually, and I say, you are always welcome here. But if you're having sex with a man, don't call yourself sober here. If you... I suggest you go to SAA. You could say you're sober there. And if you want to come here to hear what we have, to accept, to, to grow from it, great. But don't start saying you're sober here. Because that's not what our book says. And it's not clear. Period. I don't have to believe it, I could believe it, I could agree, I could disagree. It doesn't matter. This is how it is. And luckily, there are other places. But also, people aren't welcome. <coughs> if they're not trying to convert us to, to their belief system. And what is this? Not their sexual belief system, but their belief system. It's the same thing about religion. It's fine to be able to say, and I'm grateful because of the God of my understanding who is such and such. It's fine to say that in an essay meeting. Just don't try to convert the steps to your belief. You can say whatever you want to say about the God of your understanding. Or would I rather say the God of my not understanding? <coughs> yes. Well, and then there was, well, I think there was one person Mike, being, Mike was first, yeah. and then you, and then, then Nick, Nicholas. There's a question about uh, my first essay sponsor he's been working with. He's, he has a partner who he lives with, he sleeps with her, and he reported recently heavy petting with her. I'm not clear. I'm not clear. Yeah. Um... You don't have to be clear, okay? You don't have to be clear. Always remember that most people you're sponsoring with are sponsor are doing things you can't believe. They just don't tell you, okay? <laughs> so you don't live under this false assumption that you're not being lied to all the time. We're sex addicts. Okay. These guys will call and tell me after they've relapsed for 
six months, you know. No, they'll say they're sober, and then they'll say, but Harvey, you know, I really relapsed six months ago, and I'll get all upset to Nancy. You know, the guy lied to me for six months. I mean, it's, I had a sponsor like that. He had lost his sobriety, and he was just lying. And um, and then I'll start to laugh, and I'll say, who the hell am I? We lie to our own wives. These guys shouldn't lie to me. They lie to their own wives. Who am I? But these are very difficult type of situations. He will lose his sobriety if he's acting out. He's going to end up masturbating again. Or whatever he used to do, it will happen. If he's acting out, time will tell you. My sponsee, who is uh, one of my many sponsees who got married, um, I use don't ask, don't tell. Meaning, if they're doing okay, I don't ask. But one guy said, oh, Harvey, I'm going to try sleeping over my girlfriend's house tonight. I said, really? She said, yeah, we're going to share the same bed. I said, you've got to be kidding. You're going to share a bed with your girlfriend? And it, I mean, it was his fiance, And not expect something to happen? That was my active addiction. That was my disease. He did fine. Did it for months and months. Never had sex. Matter of fact, he had been married before. But, you know, he married her. After a few years, I kicked my sponsees out of the nest. I say, be careful, this might be your active disease, but in the form of anorexia. And I do this just, just method of having them date three to four, three women simultaneously. Not the same night, but simultaneously. <laughs> and see which person God brings. I have them write a list of what is their trigger women. You know, blonde, short, tall, whatever. And whatever they write down, they can't date a woman with those characteristics. <laughs> yes, that's what their disease is bringing them. That's not who God's bringing them. I also insist, not that they ever listen to what I say, but I insist <laughs> that they watch the movie Shallow Hal. If you have not seen that movie, it's a very important movie. Shallow Hal, H-A-L, with Jack Black, the comedian. Basically, his father taught him that he had to date the most attractive women, the most sexy, beautiful women there are. And one day he's in an elevator accident. And he walks out of the elevator and every woman looks beautiful to him. And I, a Glynis from Platlow or whatever, they make her like 300 pounds. And he's madly in love with her. He sees her as this thin, 
whatever. And it's about this adventure of people looking at him, and you know, and he can't understand once he picked up her underwear and they were like this. And he couldn't figure it out. It's about loving the beauty in people. The inside, not the outside. Who God brings for you. Not who you bring for you. You don't watch who God brings. Who you bring. You need who God brings to you. And by dating three women all the time, and within a short time you know, I don't want that one. Again, to repeat. And you put in a third, and this goes on for months and months. And then one day, see, an addict cannot stop obsessing over a woman. We're talking now heterosexually for people with gay issues or with me where it's men and women. You know, just substitute words. We... We don't, we don't make friends, we take hostages, you know. And addicts obsess over women. But when you're dating three women, it's impossible to obsess over all three. You cannot do it. If you're too busy saying, do I want to date that one again or this one? It takes on different forms. And after Many months, one day you say, wow, this is the woman for me. So, Dave tells his story, Dave H. I sponsored him. He was uh, absent celibate at least seven, eight years while I was sponsoring him. And by the way, that's not the requirement. You know, after a year or two, many people are ready to date. But I... He finds this woman doing this method. And um, at that time, he was a fundamentalist Christian. He still is a very devout, beautiful Christian person. But he, um, he, he was in a group, and this woman he felt was a woman for him was a um, Methodist minister. And he said, my religion won't let me get involved with him and with a woman minister. And I said to him, Dave, I'm a little confused. A little confused. Does she accept Jesus as her personal Savior? And he said, yes. And I said, do you accept Jesus as your personal Savior? And he said, yes. I said, then what the hell's the problem? And he started to laugh. I guess especially coming from a Jew thing. <laughs> and he started to laugh. And Nancy and I were at their wedding. And they've been married 15 years, have two beautiful children. By the way, if I were doing me I could never have said that to him. If I'm not letting myself be a vessel to let God talk to him through me, if that's how God talks to me through you, 
Just said he needed a God with skin. Andre, how often do you remember him saying, I need a God with skin, meaning we need to hear God. You know, on that subject, I mentioned it last night, my AA sponsor would, weeks later, we'd be at this meeting in the center of town where bums, drunks would come in. And two weeks later, my AA sponsor would repeat something the drunk had said. I said, Terry, how in the heck can you remember what that drunk guy said two weeks ago? And he said, oh, Harvey, I never know. But see, God talks to me through meetings, and I never know who he picks to talk to me that day. So I have to hear and listen to every word everyone says at the meeting. I wish I were at that place. I fall asleep at meetings. They do readings. I don't know what they read. You know, he was able to get it somehow. And so, what's another basic? What is sobriety? What is sexual sobriety? You can't get sober if you don't know what it is. And darn it, if we didn't do the same thing without sobriety definition. No sex with self. What the hell does that mean? What are these vague words? About two years before Roy died, maybe a year, I saw him in a conference. I said, Roy, why the heck did you keep this so vague? And he gave me an answer to this day, I can't believe. He looked at me in the eye and he says, well, he looks down at me. And he says, this is not a religion. That's all he said. We cannot, this is not a, a pharisaic, sadducitic issue. We cannot dot the I. I want to dot the I. That's who I am. That's my type. I need every I dot. <clears throat> but what is sex with self? I, for Nicholas won't remember how long, but it's even before he came in. I have gone nuts over the amount of time we have given to the definition of marriage when we were dying from the vagueness of the definition of what is sex with self. It was a detour a decoy every time it comes up for us to avoid what is the corrosing, the corrosive element in our fellowship. What is sex with self? In this program, technically, you could be a dynamic voyeur 
and be out in the evening looking through someone's window, being aroused (laughs) night after night, and come in and say, I'm sexually sober. According to our definition. No sex with self. What the hell does that mean? <coughs> Someone, you know, I, I say this, and then I say, what do you call that? At least there, there was someone else in the picture, maybe. So you could say sex with someone else. But uh, what do you call these things? And I'm going to get very explicit, and the women might want to step out if it upsets them, but i got to do this. An erection is for only two things. For a married husband to have intercourse with his wife, and to take a piss when you wake up at night and you have one. It is not a play toy. An erection is not a play toy. Whether you do it for orgasm or not orgasm. It is only for two purposes. It is a manifestation of a REM sleep. I don't know. In women's equivalents, I would imagine they have similar things. The REM sleep, you get an erection. Before they had all these gadgets, that's how they know you were in a deep sleep with some some method they used. Erections are not your friend. Now, what do you do when it happens? You can't say go away because it just gets worse. But it's just energy. And you bring that energy up into your heart and it flows out. Or you let it go down your legs. And for women too, you let those sensations. You don't try to stop it because it gets worse. You merely let that sensation in your pelvis and you see it as energy, and you put your legs on the ground, and you let it flow down. It's just getting caught in our that chakra. we got a problem with that chakra, with that energy center. Just is. And you start learning to use your heart to open up. But sex with self is if I, for me, if I am purposely getting a fantasy and building that fantasy and getting aroused on purpose, that would be sex with self for me. Motivation. I could not do my first step in many parts for a year, two years maybe. Because I get aroused every time I started writing, especially my teenage stuff then. Couldn't do it. And I had this great wise sponsor who I would say, Cherry, 
I was thinking about how my mother, what she did to me when I was a certain age. I was thinking about this, and I'm feeling all uncomfortable. And he said, yeah, that's your first problem. What, Jerry? You're thinking again. Okay? You're thinking again. Thinking is our enemy. What is a fantasy? I was explaining it to someone last evening. What is a fantasy? We think in pictures. A fantasy is a still photograph that's repeated over and over with a little movement change and it becomes a moving cinema. Motion picture. That's all it is. It's a still life. The first thought, Jess would say, is on God. That's how he made me. A woman goes by, I see her naked. A man goes by and I see him, I see him with an erection. That's how my brain is made. What I do with that photograph is do I want it to go into lust or don't? What action do I take at that first photograph that comes into my mind? In Nashville, we do rubber bands at that photograph so it doesn't... We have a bag of rubber bands at our clubhouse. And you put one on and you flip it the moment you see this. That chapter on how I overcame lust, the moment I notice anybody... I've automatically said, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that man or that woman, may I find in you. Automatic. One day I was at an international conference and I sponsored this just most beautiful human being. For those who don't know Jim, Jimmy, he was a Jesuit priest. He was probably the most spiritual man I've ever known. Do you remember Jimmy? And uh, you remember Jim, his stately, handsome man. And he, and he dedicated his life in the priesthood to helping recovering priests. And when he retired, come to our home, uh, he, he decided to retire by helping hurting priests in Africa. And he came home and he ended up with melanoma and stomach cancer and died some years ago. But Jim and I were doing this conference and we were sharing 30 minutes each like in a a talk at an international conference. And all of a sudden Jim runs up to me and Jim says, Harvey, Harvey, I'm so shamed. I feel so embarrassed. I said, what happened, Jim? He said, oh, there were these two guys talking and I was looking at them talk and I walked into a glass wall walked into the wall I'm so embarrassed I said oh Jim did you pray God whatever it is I'm looking for in those men may I find in you he said no miss didn't think it was a lust thought I, I did not think it was a lust thought and I said Jim I'm too sick to differentiate, is it a lust thought or not? I have to 
make that prayer for anyone I noticed. Anyone I noticed. I was sober 11 months. No, uh, yeah, about 11 and a half months. And I went to my first international conference with Roy there. They're not calling it international, but it was the first international conference. And I realized I was a male crotch watcher. I would notice men's bulges. And the, the more I noticed it, saying I'm going to stop, the more I did it. And it was driving me nuts. Guess I didn't want to do it. And I start saying, God... Whatever I'm looking for in that bulge, whatever I'm looking for in that penis, may I find in you. I don't know if I said it 500 times or a thousand times. One day, it was gone. Some guy has to be standing spread eagle at my eye level and maybe I'll notice it. Every now and then at a meeting, you look across the room and all of a sudden you say, is that what I just saw? You better check again to make sure it wasn't what you said. No, Harvey, leave it alone. Just give me care. You don't have to check it out again. Okay? How come I get laughter when I tell you all my crap? Okay. We're running out of time, apparently. Uh, you could see I don't run out of time. <laughs> I could go on. But the, the last part of this that I'm emphasizing is there's only one answer. And I want to talk more, if we get a chance, about what is sex with self. Get more specific. But what it's going to come down to is what the whole program's about. The thing they guarantee us we can't get the program. It's honesty. If we're not honest with ourselves, we're not going to get the program. And it says, to thine own self be true. You know you're having sex with self because you're not sharing it even though you're not doing it to orgasm, you know it's sex with sex. You know watching that pornography and getting stimulated. And by the way, that's one of those code words. People will say, I've been watching a little pornography again. I'm watching some bathing suit ads. They, then I ask them the next question. And you're sitting there with an erection, aren't you? How did you know that? <laughs> they forget to tell you. They're not looking at a picture. They're having sex. But they're having what the old term used to be for masturbation. In old days, it was called self-abuse. In America, the big thing I talked about at Thursday was oh, waterboarding. They're torturing people to get information. Waterboarding. Horrible stuff. And I'd say, it's not as horrible 
as arousing yourself and not having an orgasm. There is no more torture than that. To block this physiological thing, it's self-torture. And then people won't even call it what it is, sex with self. If you call me to say, did I lose my sobriety, I'm not going to tell you yes or no. I'm going to say, if I did that, I would call it a loss of sobriety. And by the way, personally, I don't like to do retrospect, retroactive sobriety loss, but you'll know because if you're not willing to put that on your bottom line, that if it happens the next time, it is a loss of sobriety, then you know you're not ready anyway. I could not make this program then I'll end with the no sex with self and no sex outside my marriage. I could not do it. I had to add things to it. I cannot have sex with my wife at a certain frequency. That is a loss of my sobriety if I have too frequent sex with my wife. It's a loss of my bottom line sobriety. If I go and poor Luke, when he had to go through this guy, I lose my sobriety if I go into a shower room, public shower room, where men could be showering. That's the loss of my bottom line sobriety. I lose my sobriety if I walk into a pornography store. Walk in, unless it was that you called me to pull you out. I needed a very clear understanding of what is my sobriety definition. And to thine own self be true. You can't expect your sponsor to do it for you if he doesn't know how much you're lying to yourself anyway. And if he tells you what to do, it's already too late. Sponsors who think that they have to tell these other people what to do, first of all, we do not take orders well. And they'll just outmaneuver whatever you told them anyway. It has to come from here. It has to come from, I have this thing where I, I look everything up. I just have a lot of intellectual curiosity. But I also look up actors and actresses, where they were born, what they did. Are they Jewish? You know, yeah. <laughs> look up all kinds of crazy things. But my boundary with my sponsor, that I told him, not he told me, they, if I click onto the gallery, and look at photographs. I know that's my active disease. And I will discuss it with you. There's certain behavior I have with my wife that is not good for me sexually. And I have an agreement. I say, I don't, you don't do it again that way. And then I'll do it that way again. And it will happen a few times. And then I'll say, if it happens again, you will have to call your sponsor and say, if I do it again, that's going to be a loss of my sobriety. And it's totally legal stuff. But it's 
not good for me. It's not good for me. It doesn't give me comfort. The program's about comfort. So to thine own self be true is about comfort. You could lie to yourself all you want. No one really gives a crap. We love you, but these seats always get filled. They always get filled. People come, people go. This is about you. I want sobriety. I don't want to have to live in secrecy anymore. I want freedom today. And I want to be able to end right now because I'll go on and on once I'm on a roll. So thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.